to another episode of the Blood Brothers podcast. Tonight, I'm joined by Rob Parker. Hello there. Hello, Rob Parker. How are you today? Mm. Mid drink. With sorry. a mouthful of Guinness. <laughs> yeah, I'm really well. As you can tell, I'm really good. Really good. How are you, Chris? Are you okay? I am well. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's always good to see you. It is, and always good to see me. That sounded like I was saying. <laughs> 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 You're damn right. Um, and we are joined um, by um, a debut author tonight um, of uh, a wonderful book that is out um, this week, uh, and it is Graham Bartlett. Hello. Hello. Nice to be here. Thank you. It's great to see you, Graham. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. I haven't got any Guinness, so I'm, that's that was a mistake. <laughs> foreign squash, but that uh, that's probably not quite quite going to have the effect. But there we go. <laughs> we'll see how we get on. I hear if you drink it really quickly, it has the same the same effect as Guinness. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think someone's having you over there, Robert. Gang <laughs> <laughs> <Dang>, conned again. <laughs> um, Graham, job one. Please, can you tell us about your your book that is out this week? Yeah, well, my, it's called Bad for Good, uh, and uh, it's a police procedural of sorts. Uh, I say of sorts because it takes a slightly different slant, and it's um, it, it's based in Brighton, uh, where I'm from, and the, the premise is what happens when police cuts are so severe that vigilantism, corruption, blackmail, and mass murder take over as the crime control method of choice uh and a lot of people have said is that based on your personal experience and of course it's not but uh there are some elements in there so that that's what it's all about and it introduces a new uh, protagonist who's um unusually a very senior officer chief superintendent joanne howe uh and she is reluctantly put into the position of having to tackle all of these horrendous uh facets of, of, of the city of Brighton and Hove, whilst also trying to uh, investigate and uh, catch the killer of her predecessor's son. So lots in there. <laughs> that sounds so exciting. And the buzz about this book, Graham, is electrifying. It is every, oh, it's everywhere. It's all over social media. Five-star reviews flying in all over the place. It's thrilling. You must be thrilled. I, I am thrilled. And it's, it's, it's really good to hear you say that because... I think sometimes we live in an echo chamber and, and you know, pe- I, people say to me, oh, it's really good. We're loving it. Looking forward to it. But but you're obviously not in the same echo chamber as me. So for you to say that, that's that's very reassuring. And, and you know, as a debut author, to have that buzz, it's just it's, it's quite humbling, actually, because no one really knows my writing. I mean, I've written nonfiction before, but um, no one knows my storytelling. Uh, but but people seem to be enjoying it. So um, good on them. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. Yeah. Um. Why? Um. Because you've you've. Well, first of all, please can you tell us about your sort of experience? We all we often talk about the sort of publication journey later on, but actually, your sort of worlds collide a little bit, and I assume play a part in in that. So, can you tell us a little bit about your publication journey? Yeah, absolutely. So, so my um. So, if I start with my background, my my background um was as a police officer. I was um, a police officer in Sussex for thirty years. Most of that, I was a detective, uh, and for most of that time, I worked in Brighton and Hove, which is for those of listeners that don't know, is a a bustling cosmopolitan city about fifty miles south of London on the south coast, uh, and never two no two days are ever the same. 
Um, so I, I was a police constable then, then a detective constable. Uh, and I, I, I rose up through the ranks, mainly, as I say, as a detective. And then I finished my career um, as the, um, the police commander of the city. So I was the chief superintendent in the city. So I used to describe it to people that if things went wrong in Brighton Hove, ultimately it was probably my fault. So that's kind of how you, how you kind of pitch that. Um, and yeah, so, so I, you know, I've, I've dealt with many, many types of crimes, probably everything apart from terrorism. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I kind of stumbled into writing when I retired. Wow. Because we get, you know, it's very rare, isn't it, that we have someone on the podcast that's not just writes the right, no, talks the talk, but in actually the writes the right does not work, but has walked the walk in yourself, Graham, you know, that is, so it's, it's, it's very humbling, you know, because when you write crime fiction, I find you sort of hero, you create heroes out of, people who do this I certainly wanted to be a police officer myself at one point so just mm. absolutely amazing on a personal note huge respect man that is just unbelievable I mean thanks I mean you know there's a lot of people out there doing the same job in a lot more trying circumstances than than I did you know and and that's kind of where bad for good came from really was was seeing the the the, the horrendous cuts that were being made to not only policing but the whole public sector uh, and kind of almost sort of then extrapolating that into, okay, well, how bad can we make this? You know, how bad can this get? And, and, and how bad can a city, uh, a police force, you know, a, a whole community become because of, because of these cuts? And it's not political with, 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 a, small, with, with, a, with a capital P at all. It's just, you know, contextualizing the pressures of policing uh, in 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 the current situation, and and obviously because it's fiction, we kind of take it a stage further and then further, further, further. So it's much worse than hopefully it actually is. But um, <laughs> but but using that that knowledge, because I, I I I left the police in 2013, which was three years after the cuts were starting to bite. Now, if you ask any police officer now, whether they would go back to the the levels of of policing and and the resourcing and the and the finances that I was moaning about nine years ago, they'd bite your hand off because it's far worse now and, and they're, they're, they're really struggling. Um, so when I started thinking about this book, it was, you know, it was almost kind of set in the near future. And I talk about people now and then going, better crack on and get it published. Otherwise it's going to become historical fiction. Wow. That's, that's unreal, man. Um, and because one of the, the, I think when I first became aware of what you were doing, Graham, it was through your consultancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is an absolutely incredible resource um, for writers. Um, and I see, you know, big, big authors involved with, yeah, having a word with you. Um, and that must have been equally fascinating, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really is. And I, I you know, I, I do it, do it every day. I mean, I, I've, I've been working with authors today as, you know, the day that we're recording this and I've got authors booked in tomorrow. And, and I, I work with, as you say, I work with some very, prominent names, Peter James, Anthony Horowitz, Mark Billingham, uh, you know, that I've, I've advised all of those, some of them on a regular basis, some of them on an ad hoc basis, Ellie Griffiths as well. Uh, but equally, I, I, I work with aspiring authors, you know, some pe people that maybe have, uh, are doing an MA in creative writing that, you know, so, so the whole spectrum. Uh, and I, I kind of, what I do is, is I, I, I try and 
use both my policing knowledge and my writing knowledge to provide them with advice and guidance around policing and characters, uh, crime and, uh, and criminals, and w which meets the needs of their story. So I don't, I never go in and go, oh, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. I'll, I'll go in. My, my first question to everyone is, what do you want to happen? What, what's your story and where do you want to take this? Uh, and then I will work with them to come up with credible and authentic and plausible procedures, storylines, characters to, to help them achieve what they're looking for in their either in their story arcs or the character arcs, um, but not, not, not subsuming them in, in, in detail and, and facts. I'll, I'll tell the writer all the detail and facts, but, but my guidance is always don't, don't, don't load that on the reader because they're not interested. They'll pick, if they want to know that, they'll, they'll pick up a textbook. But you're, you're writing crime fiction. You want to keep them gripped. So, but this is what would really happen. But in your case, we can make this happen if we sow this seed here or have this person say that there. And, and I, I think the authors that I work with appreciate that, that dual knowledge and experience, you know, as a, as a crime writer myself and as a police officer, I can bring the two together. So that they're not getting a this would never happen that would never happen this is the way we do things it's a kind of okay let's see how we can make this work under service what's wow. the most um like common mistake or uh yeah that you come across um i'd say the most common one is um people 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 writing their protagonists at too senior level so for example if you want your protagonist to be in a in an interview room um grilling the bad guy then don't have that protagonist as being anything above the rank of sergeant now that some sometimes people conflate seniority with with expertise and and i'm sure some people conflate when i was there they conflated seniority with comp, with competence uh, <laughs> you know the very best the very best detectives, the very best interviewers, you know, at the level that readers want to read about are constables and sergeants. Now, too many times I see um, chief inspectors in interview rooms. I mean, I, I advise for TV as well. And, you know, that's something that TV writers for trap they fall into. And my, you know, I'm not blaming anyone because you wouldn't know it if you hadn't worked, lived in that world. But it, it's that over, uh, uh, having that, 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 that seniority uh, at, at, at too high a level. Now, someone like William Shaw, who uh, um, I'm not sure you had on, on the podcast. Yes, we have, yeah. yeah. William's a great friend of mine and a fabulous crime writer. You know, with the Alex Kabidi series, he has his protagonist at Detective Sergeant, and occasionally you'll get her giving a nod to the fact that there's some bosses up the line that are kind of guiding it, but you're actually seeing everything through her eyes, and that's, that's the way I would recommend writers do it. There's other there's other procedural things like, you know, forensic results coming back too quickly. Um, this is a great one for TV. Um, people people plugging in a USB and downloading a two terabyte computer uh, <laughs> while, while, the, while the suspects off got, gone off to the bathroom. You know, it, <laughs> you know, I, I know how long it takes to turn my computer on in the morning, so yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> It's a basic thing. But there's all sorts of, I mean, on my website, I've got a section called Bartlett's Bloopers that's stacked with these sorts of things where, where, where you know, writers just, just get them wrong. And I say there's no blame because, you know, if I was writing a hospital drama, I, I wouldn't know how to write a, an open heart surgery scene. So why should anyone who's not been in the police 
know how to yeah is, is there anything that you see and that it like is a particular pet peeve that anything like that that like goes like really like makes you go oh like that you know what I mean yeah, yeah. and it's it it's 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 down to character really it it and it, it's the kind of and, and I, I would say this, wouldn't I, as, as a former senior officer? Uh, but it, it's the it's the kind of the the the, the career hungry, misogynistic, bullying um, blockage of of a superintendent or a chief superintendent. You know, coming in and basically almost fighting against the officers that are that are actually doing the job and 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 being sort of really kind of mealy mouthed in it as well. You know, they 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 really are put down quite. Which is why I wanted to write in Bad for Good. Joe Howe as a chief superintendent, because my world was 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 far from that. I mean, some people might not have liked the way I did things, and you know, you can't please everybody all the time. But but my job as the divisional commander in a in, in a in a busy, busy city was to try and protect the front line from all of the political nonsense that was going on above me and around me. So I used to work very closely with the city council uh, and the the the, poli- the, the, the political Leaning of the city council um, changed, I think, three times in the four years that no, twice in the in the four years that I was there. Um, so very, very different um, ideologies in the city. Uh, I used to work with the chief officer team, the, the uh, chief constable and the assistant chief constables, and the deputy chief constable, uh, and, and and you know the finance directors and all that sort of thing. And um, yeah, but but my job, I, I thought, was 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 always to try and protect. The constables and the sergeants, police constables or detective constables and sergeants, from the nonsense sometimes that was going on up above me and around me, so that they could just get on with their job. Now you don't see that a lot in crime fiction. You see it the other way, where you know that's that that BS is piled down on 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 the front line, and you know sometimes you can't avoid it. You know sometimes I would have to take the hit that you know we we've we've had a particular team, and I remember this. They 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 hadn't had a weekend, they'd had days off, but they hadn't had a weekend off for six months because we kept cancelling their, 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 when they had a rest day on a Saturday or a Sunday because of a protest, a football match, um, or, or something else that was going on in the city. And, and I couldn't do anything about that. So I kind of had to stand up and sort of say, look, I'm really, really sorry because, you know, officers have families, they have social yeah, yeah. they like that. But, but I, you know, I, I did that with a heavy heart. You know, I had, and, and apologise to them for it, but just you know, so so quite often you read and you see these senior officers kind of being the problem, and, yeah. And, and very often, I mean, none of my peers, and 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 I don't know of any any anyone across the country of my rank would be like that. They they were because we've all come through the ranks. We've all been, of course, yeah. We've all walked the streets. We've all kind of been detective we you know that's our career path we'll be in detective constable so we've all felt the pressure um so why would we then why would we then only uh, exasperate that by by piling more on on the office that's, that's doing the hardest so interesting job. really, that, really that's interesting. what i do with, that's what i do with joe howe in bad for good she's she's constantly battling against the the the, the pull elsewhere and the, the pull and the push elsewhere uh, you know and she she in in some cases she she's she has a better relationship with uh, the PCs, the police constables, than she does with, you know, a much better relationship than she does with her her senior officers. But I won't say too much more about that. Well, no, no, well. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that's absolutely amazing. Um, I, um, 
how did you find writing her character? Um, did you find yourself drawing on experience, or or was there a balance of trying to just make it fiction? Yeah, well, the, the, this book, Bad for Good, started in my head about seven years ago. Um, so you can see how, how long I've been been faffing around with it. And, and when I when I started it, um, her character was a man, uh, and. Because I was new to new to, to, to novel writing, I'd, I'd say I'd written nonfiction, but new to novel writing, I kept finding myself drifting into almost sort of autobiographical, an autobiographical world, and I didn't want that. I, you know, people will know the job that I used to do, and the know and they know the job that my protagonist in Bad for Good has, and I didn't want them to think, oh, this is just you're just ranting. You know, it's you, isn't it? This is you. So. So a simple way to do that was to change the gender. Now, that wasn't simple at all because <laughs> I know what it's like to be a senior officer in, in a medium-sized force in the UK because I've done that. I have no idea what it's like to be a female senior officer in a medium-sized force in the UK. So I, I wrote the character wrote, wrote as best I could with all of the, the things that I thought would be the same as my experience, but also adding in things that, so she's got a young family. Joe has got a young family. Her husband is an investigative journalist who works abroad sometimes. Uh, and I, I kind of thought, well, maybe he's a nice bloke, her husband, Darren's a nice bloke, but maybe maybe he just kind of, he thinks, oh, I've got, you know, we've got a lead to follow up in New York. I'm going to go to New York, follow that up, uh, leaving her with the kids and a very, very high profile job, very high pressure job. Uh, and, and it's kind of, oh, OK, what, you know, on the two of us in this marriage, that, that kind of thing. So I, when, I'd, when I'd written, I think probably the, the, the second or third draft with, with her as a woman, I, I sent it to a, a, a woman called Di Roskilly, who was a, um, a, a chief superintendent in Sussex and a really, you know, re really, really talented, uh, honest and, and um, you know, just a wonderful, wonderful police officer and a wonderful human being. Uh, and, and she read it in, in detail and, and she came back to me and I, and I thought she'd have like two or three notes for me about me. Uh, and she said, let's do, let's do a Zoom call. And I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> um, and, and to be honest, you know, uh, a lot of it, a lot of it was similar to my experience. You know, I mean, the way that um, Joe Howe runs various operations. I mean, she's when she starts off in the book as a detective superintendent. So the way she runs the murders and that, very similar, but the actual career path and experiences, and and just some of her, some of her in a in, in a monologue, um, w weren't quite right. And and Di took me through that. And, and and in some places she said, "You've overdone this." She said, "It's not that bad." So, but in other places she'd say, "No, that wouldn't have happened. She wouldn't be feeling that, but she's feeling this." And and it was really really useful to to have that, just to have that insight that you know as as, as a as, as a you know as a man as a middle class man doing that job I couldn't hope to have even though you know I like to think that I'm fairly kind of open and and, mm. and have worked around senior women before but actually you know living the world from their perspective was really tricky so um I was really grateful for that and I and I'm I, I mean definitely she, she'll be looking at other books too because you know I know that I'll, I'll trip back into you know how it was for me without it being autobiographical
Amazing. And I wanted to ask, oh, first things first, sorry. Um, slight segue. Um, a wonderful listener, Jackie, got in touch recently to say that um, she always thinks I'm trying to get away with it when she hears a beer can open on the episodes. So I'm not at all trying to get away with it. I'm going to put it right by the mic. It is on camera. Wallop. There we go. This is this one's for you, Jackie. One. We've, how long have we been talking now? About 20, uh, 25 minutes, 25 minutes. That's your so. second one. I t- um, <laughs> no, it's, it's a happy occasion having a chat with you, mate. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so that one's for you, line, though, did you? Oh, no, no, I'm so sorry. That one's for you, Jackie. Um, Graham, I wanted to ask about like working with all these wonderful authors um, and seeing their how their processes go. How did that um, inspire and inform your own approach to your own fiction work? So, I mean, my, my you know, my, my, my mentor is Peter James, and, and that is just an incredible thing to be able to say. I mean, I, I've worked with Peter James and I was in the police. Um, he saw some of my writing and asked me to write a nonfiction with him. So, you know, I, 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 he doesn't only help me on the fiction, but he, we Death Comes Knocking, which was our first nonfiction. You know, I, I wrote, I, I, I wrote and he fixed, really. Uh, and but, but in doing so, he taught me. He taught me how to write. He taught me the approach. He t- I didn't know anything about writing at all. I, I was writing, used to write police reports. You know, I was used to writing statements or reports to, you know, try and persuade people that we shouldn't lose, you know, 25 officers, you know, this, this quarter. And all. But, you know, actually writing something that people want to spend their hard-earned money to read, no idea. So Peter took me through that in the process of writing Death Comes Knocking. And then we wrote a second one, Babes in the Wood. Uh, and and it, was, it was, he was more... Um, he he he, needed, he didn't need to be quite as hands on there, but he, he definitely was there for me and 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 helped me. So, you know, Peter's my Peter's my mentor. You know, he he, he goes through my books now. You know, he's gone through Bad for Good. He's gone through um, book two uh, and given me fabulous. Um, I don't mean fabulous in terms of you know th- this is wonderful. This is a wonderful book, but really insightful. A, you know, feedback on it and, and and ways to improve it and polish. So you know, I I. I I, I learn a lot from him. Um, I learn a lot about the process from some of the more experienced. I mean, but the reason Bad for Good took me seven years to write is because I kept I kept getting to a certain stage, then go back in editing it and changing it, and then and and um, you know a lot of a lot of successful authors say to me, "You just write the thing, just write it, just get to the end. Don't worry about it. Just you know that first draft's for you." Just, just get to the end, know where the story's going, and then you go back and you start, you start editing it, and and that that's become my my kind of my, my mantra now to myself is is that you know I I mean I'm writing book three at the moment, and I'm 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 just it's hard, but I'm resisting the the temptation to keep going back and just fixing chapters here and fixing scenes there and just you know cutting characters there and putting new ones in here. You know I'm just going to get to the end, and and if it's you know, if it's 25% over a word count, you know, if it's 125,000 words, I don't care because I know I'll lose those in, 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 in the second edit. So I've, I've learned a huge amount from them. And I'm so grateful uh, because, you know, you can spend a lifetime learning this stuff. And I'm, I'm privileged enough to work with these people on a almost on a daily basis. And they just chuck it, chuck it in, you know, as, 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 as wisdom for me. <laughs> How did it feel going from having unlimited you know you talked about seven years but having seven years to write book one with no pressure to writing the second one which i assume is done with i assume some sort of deadline yeah yeah that was different that was uh seven years because i 
I, honestly, I, I mean, in, in that seven years, I did, I, you know, we did bring out the two other books. And uh, uh, so I wasn't kind of, I wasn't just literally coming down every day and, and just, you know, fiddling around and just Bad going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, writing without writing without a deadline, it it is is a blessing in some ways because you can kind of try things out. But I work I work very well to deadlines. If someone gives me a deadline, I'll, I'll generally meet it. Uh, if they don't give me a deadline, forget it. You know, it'll, I'll have loads of other important things that I need to do rather than than do that. So the deadline's helpful. But yeah, with book two, it was we signed the contract. Um, for, for, so I've got a two-book contract with Alison and Busby um, for, uh, at the moment. And, um, uh, and we signed that, I think, in September. Uh, and they wanted book two by the end of January. And it was about, about half written at that point. I knew where I was going with it, but it was about half written. Um, and that, but that really applied my mind. And, and you know, I, 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 but even so, I, I stuck to this principle of just get it written go back and edit it so it was it was hard but it focused my mind and to be honest I think I think my writing was more efficient in, in that way because I knew I didn't have time to you know faff around you know just putting in scenes here that I just I mean there was a scene in, in Bad for Good I absolutely loved it uh, and then um, my editor said to me that's a great scene but it didn't take you anywhere does it See, but it's such a good scene. It's really good. It's all about, you know, police officers getting, it sounds awful, police officers getting beaten up and somebody racing to the scene and it's all very dramatic. And she said, yeah, but it doesn't take you anywhere, does it? I went, well, no, I suppose not. And, and so, you know, just, but I did, on book two, I didn't, I didn't have that, um, I, I didn't have that luxury to do that. So I, 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 I did what I didn't do on book one and I planned um, to, to a degree. I, 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 wrote a five-act plan uh, and, and stuck to it, and, and, and that really helped me. Absolutely superb. <laughs> um, just to, sort of like as a slight segue, I wanted to ask about how writing um, non-fiction, the difference between writing non-fiction and fiction, and how you approached that and what stylistic changes or process changes you, you did. I mean, obviously... Um, because I'm, I'm talking about here, of course, um, Babes in the Wood. And because yeah. um, that's far more personal, isn't it? There's a lot more of an autobiographical, oh, sorry, biographical. Auto is when you do it yourself, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, but it's both, though. It's both because I wasn't involved in all of the Babes in the Wood. So the Babes in the Wood, right. but Babes in the Wood uh, is basically a, a 32 year um, or story that, that spans 32 years. It starts off with a double child murder. In 1986, uh, a man—it's it's public knowledge. There's no spoilers in what I'm about to say. Yeah. But a man gets a man gets arrested, charged, goes to court, gets acquitted. Uh, about two years after he's acquitted, uh, he then kidnaps a, 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 an even younger girl uh, and takes her to a, 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 a hilltop in Sussex. Um, tries to kill her, um, sexually assaults her. Uh, and then he's arrested and and and, convict, and convicted of that and served serving life imprisonment. And then, thirty two years later, after the first the first incident, um, the police are able to bring him back before court because of a change in law and a change in science, which means that he can now be retried for this. His name was Russell Bishop. He can now be retried 
for the murders of um, uh, Nicola Fellows and, and Karen Hadaway, who were the, the first, the, the, the two girls in 86. And he was convicted. Um, he was actually convicted 31 years to the day after he was acquitted of that crime, those crimes uh, back in the 80s. And, and it, it tells the whole story of that. Um, it, you know, right the way across the, 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 you know, basically, you know, it's over a quarter of a century. Um, it was, it was really, really um, emotional to write that because, you know, at the end of the day, you've got two, two young girls who lost their lives. You've got families that have been robbed of justice. You've got a police service that didn't do as bad as the public or the, the, the press betrayed them to. But at the end of the day, the criminal justice system let them down and caused another girl to be to be um, kidnapped and nearly killed. So writing that was, I just felt a huge responsibility in writing that. You know, there was no, there was no fun in it at all. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I was very satisfied with the process and very satisfied with what we did. But I wanted to bring the story out to, to people in, a, in as a clear a way as possible. And there's some, there's some incredible complexities in here, particularly around forensic science. There's some there's some stuff that, I mean, I know, you know, a fair amount about forensic science. I, I sat there reading it and reading it and rereading it and rereading it. And what is this telling me? And then trying to trying to put that into um, a, a way that, they, that, that, that a lay reader will be able to understand it and go, mm. oh, okay, I've got it. I know. I now know why that why that DNA profile there is is significant and that one isn't and why. What, 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 why, what, why, why those, those two things are true. So I had to write it in a very accessible way, but really detailed way. And it was, it was um, I remember when I sent the draft off to, um, to my then publishers and they came back and <laughs> they, um, the, the first edit, they completely turned my forensic chapters around, you know, because uh, they, they said it didn't, you know, it, it, it didn't read as, as clearly as it might. And they, they were right. But the, the changes they were made made it completely incorrect and even more confusing. So I like, no, 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 I've got to do this the way I want to do it. Um, so I felt a huge responsibility in getting that right, getting it accessible, being fair to the families and not making it gratuitous. A lot of people say to me, oh, I'm not sure whether I'd like it. I don't like to read about child death. Well, there's not a lot of detail about the actual murders themselves. It, it's more about... The, the, the investigations, the cultures around at the time, both the police cultures and the community cultures, political cultures, uh, and, and, and how we got to the point uh, where the police could eventually, or the CPS and the police could eventually rebring charges and, um, and, and have him convicted. Um, Amazing. But, but, but uh, yeah. the difference, I mean, obviously that story was, you know, the story is there, the characters are there. I don't have to create the story, I don't have to create the characters um and and um but but the research was was, was just mind-blowing you know because i wanted to get it all right and I, we're talking about in the 80s where there's nothing on, there was nothing online you know yeah, and, and i didn't yeah. have access to any police i mean i'm no longer in the police so they're not going to give me access to the files of an ongoing prosecution so, <laughs> um, i kind of had to had to speak to people that i was allowed to speak to because i couldn't speak to any witnesses until after the trial uh, and i had to kind of really pick my way through it so I thought writing fiction would be would be a walk in the park after that, um, but then of course, <laughs> I realised no, I've I, no, I've got I've got to create the worlds, I've got to create the stories, the characters, I've got to decide who lives and dies. This is it. And those things, and it. So, um, but it's um, it was much more enjoyable than, than writing non-fiction. I think particularly Babes of the Wood, Death Comes Knocking, which is 
almost like an anthology of of crimes and incidents and and themes that influenced the Peter James novels. That was more fun, you know. They're, 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 I mean, there are some horrible stories in there, but they are they're, they're, they're short, they're sharp, and 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 you know they kind of tell a tell a story about how they influenced the uh, the Roy Grace novels. Babes in the Wood, much much harder to write, um, right? Uh, but in terms of the research, but fiction, um, probably probably more taxing on my well, definitely more taxing on my imagination, but but great fun. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. You say, so interesting. You say that. Um, Chris and I, we've both been doing a bit of uh, script work for um, uh, podcast um, uh, producers, haven't we? About uh, true crime and history and stuff like that. And I, I you know, with being um, a novelist, like I find them like um, palate cleansers, like a nice little step aside because. Like you say, the story's, the story's already written. I don't have to make anything up here. <laughs> you know, I don't have to try and connect the dots on a story. I just have to make sure it reads and sounds okay. You know, um, Incidentally, if I could add, listeners, that um, I've, just as we were talking there, so compelling listening to Graham there, um, uh, the Big River website that we don't name on here, um, you can go on there at the moment if you like, and Babes in the Wood is £4.49 in paperback. Is so, it? Yes. <laughs> you should see Graham's face. <laughs> I'm so sorry, man. I'm joking. I'm joking. Well, I mean, you got you got a sale right here just a couple of seconds ago. So I clicked oh, the, big, the big buy button. Fabulous. No, no. no. You know, that, that came out uh, a month before the first lockdown. Uh, oh, wow. And in terms of in terms of reviews and feedback, it, they're infinitely better than um, than, than babes than um, death comes knocking. Death comes knocking uh, ended up as a as a Sunday Times top 10 bestseller number seven one week but i'm having it um yeah, but um Bates in the wood didn't but i i think it's a i think it's a better book my, I'm, I'm happy with my writing on that book but the the, the, the not you know but by, by death comes up in as well by the means but um <laughs> well yeah, I, I, I no i look forward to it thank you thank you very much um, and, death, and death comes knocking has got some got a couple of pictures of me as an 18 year old pc and you will then know why when i used to walk the streets of bogner uh, in my first two years, uh, the chant was, "Do you do? Does your mum know you're out?" Is what I. <laughs> oh gosh. But Chris, Chris, and Rob will now, who are now looking at me on screen, will see that it'll be, "Does your carer now know you're out?" <laughs> that is not true, listeners. This is not true. <laughs> ah, that's awesome. We we love an exclusive on the podcast. Um, are we allowed to know anything about book two? So yeah, by all means, yeah. So so book two, um, Joe jo Howe comes back. Um, she's she's been through the ringer in book one. So she comes back. She's she's a bit battered and bruised by what's gone on. I won't say too much more than that. But it so book two um, looks at um, what happens when uh, a, a, a basically a, a neo Nazi. Um, city council takes over uh leadership of the council and uh it, it and, and how they use human trafficking and modern slavery to um to to to, to serve their their agenda of hate uh and joe is right, plunged right in the middle of it um she she's she's having to battle uh with um excess deaths in care homes uh with corruption in 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 the police and and a far right council that are doing all they can 
to rid Brighton and Hove of anybody that isn't like them. Um, wow. So it, it again, it, it 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 deals with big issues, but within a within a a sort of you know a policing sort of on the ground context. Uh, and I, in fact, I've just I've just um, sent um, another draft back to my editor today, and I was reading the I was reading the last scenes going through it, and I'm thinking. God, I hope I can write book three like this because I mean, again, it's, I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but I just, I just thought, oh, yeah, no. There's sometimes <laughs> where you feel you're feeling yeah. it, aren't you? You're feeling it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's fine. Yeah, and, so that, that's gonna that's gonna come out. Uh, not sure of the title yet. We're still mulling that over, but that's gonna come out early 2023. Uh, at the same time, I gather at the same time as the paperback for Bad for Good uh, is coming out. So excellent stuff. Oh, it's so exciting. That that sounds incredible. Yeah, that, that second book, by the way. It's it, I, I don't I I'd set myself up sometimes because you know I I tried to the, the, the kind of the, the, the approach I want to take is is try and write these write write crime and policing within that within this socio-political context that that you know the world could go in. So not kind of making it you know a political thriller, but make you know showing the impact of politics and social you know social um social movement i suppose on 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 policing but you know there, there i am so i'm piling far right you know far right extremism human trafficking and modern slavery uh and and excess deaths in care homes in one book now i could why didn't i make four books out of it i could have <laughs> that but i'm just gonna pile it all well i might not get another contract so i just might <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th- I mean, I think if there's any man for the job here, Graham, I'm putting, I'm thinking it's you, mate. I really am. <laughs> oh, there's so much to chew over here, Chris. Yes, I was going to say, should we do one of my phone batteries about the dying? And I've prepared the game on it. So can we play the game in case it goes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you listened to the podcast before, Graham? I have. Of course so, I have. You're Thank aware, you. You're aware of the ones... I'm not going to say no, am I? <laughs> <laughs> um, for the listeners that have not, um, we play a one-star superstar game where, although you, you've not had any one-stars, so I've, I've gone elsewhere. Well, you look harder. We've... So, yeah, I find some other people that... Uh, that have given one stars uh, and they've looked at what they've reviewed and you just have to tell us whether it's one star or five star so the first one is um, a three pack of um, it's called comfort bra uh, like a crop top kind of thing oh right um, I, I thought they were like, books I thought we did books okay <laughs> Oh, no, 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 straight into comfort bras. Thanks. For <laughs> that. one, it's like, it's, um, it's like an ex, you know, the ones that, um, like for exercise, yeah. Oh, like a sports thing, a sort of crop top, yeah, sports, yeah, thing. right. And, yeah. and one or five stars, so one they loved stars. or hated. Do, um, this could be a giveaway, but do we have any idea of the gender of the reviewer? A female, right? Good, good. <laughs> That does make a difference in this instance, yeah, I think. Well, yeah, I think it would have done. Yeah. Um, what are you thinking, Graham? I, I think one star. For the purposes of a competition, I'll go five. They flipping love them. Okay. Any reasons? 
just deeply comfortable. Comfortable, yeah. Yeah. One side being any reason, just. I, I think probably the wrong size, not yeah. not enough restraint. I don't. <laughs> I'm always very comfortable with my sports bras, so I, <laughs> no others others aren't. Um, it is five stars. Oh, <laughs> she's given. Well, I don't think it sounds like a five star tagline, but it's major mono boob. Oh, what? Um, and then the review is major mono boob, but super comfy for around the house. So, What's a, a mono boob? Where I sort of think they get squashed into one. Right. We are tackling uncharted territory here. How <laughs> <laughs> yeah. have into this? <laughs> mono um, we'll, boob. We'll, we'll move on. Wow. Shall we? <laughs> the next one is um, a DVD of, of wacky races. <laughs> A DVD of Wacky Races. Well, <laughs> yeah. that is that is my that is my era. Wacky Races. I I used to watch those when I was when I was young, but there weren't yeah. any DVDs around then. So it's got to be. I mean, you, you can't beat Wacky Races. It's got to be five star. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking it's a five star as well. I've got to be honest. I think, but no purposes of competition, one star. Um, Why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> one star. They. Uh, Oh, I don't know. There's something they didn't like about it. Unrealistic racing scenes. <laughs> <laughs> one of my Facebook statuses from about 10 years ago, you know, they come up like as memories. And one of them the other day was if Dick Dastardly just raced, he would win every race because he's always so far ahead. <laughs> yeah, instead of trying to blow everyone up and whatever. Yeah, complex <laughs> thoughts of a 23-year-old there. <laughs> um, the DVD got one star. Um, I'm rubbish at this. Looks like it was made in the 1980s. Um, and I looked it up because the first episode aired in 1968. So I was going to say, I, remember, I mean, I was, yeah. But, yeah, okay, I'll leave it. Leave it. Oh, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I may or may not be able to verify that. <laughs> um, well, um, mono boob is a new quote for the ages, I think. <laughs> Listeners, write in. Have you ever heard of the word monoboob, listeners? We, um, we've got to, there's a challenge for us, all the three of us, we've got to get that into our next book. I think, right, challenge accepted. With challenge us, accepted. It, and it, it, it's got to be contextual as well. You can't just kind of just chuck it in. <laughs> <laughs> what? Someone's bellowing it from the street or something like that. Is, Is that, that person shouting monoboob? <laughs> There's just going to leave there. a note for myself on the desk here yeah. that simply says mono boob. <laughs> I'm Matt. There's always yeah. the worry that I see in reviews of, of things though, where it's like he introduced the woman as like straight away talking about her body or physique. And I was thinking, I really don't want to fall into that. But yeah, yeah, got mono boob, are you? Yeah. Uh, well, no. <laughs> I'm really unsafe. I don't know. If um, you see an accident, like suddenly in the middle of a scene in my next book, like um, a total like maniac <laughs> comes in and he's in for one scene just to say mono boob, you know that that person was crowbarred in just for that, <laughs> just or, for that purpose. Rob, we could, we could, because Graham said his second book's coming out in January or the start of start of next year. So maybe we'll, oh, next year sometime, we'll yeah. let him do it first. See yeah. <laughs> after you, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> And if it's not in there, I'll just, say, I'll just say my editor took it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Funny that, because I think mine's about to take out as well. 
Yeah, just uh, just on this sort of one star thing, we're, we're, you know, when during lockdown when everyone did these kind of Zoom quizzes, we, we used to do them. My, my kids were were all at various kind of places around the country, and we we did them once a week. And I, I did one on on one star reviews on books, and I I kind of went into the books that they would know, and, and and they had to kind of try and guess the book from the one star review. And uh, one of my one of my um, lads, he all he reads is sports biographies, so yeah, they kind of had to be sports ones again. And there was one, and it was I can't remember whether it was a an Arsene Wenger biography or certainly maybe an Arsenal player or something like that. Verified purchase, one star review. I have it. I effing hate Arsenal. <laughs> Verified purchase. So if you effing hate Arsenal, what are you doing buying the book and then giving it a one star review? <laughs> 16 quid on a book about a team you hate. <laughs> Great fun. It's worth doing it though. There's there's some there's some fabulous ones out there. Oh, some yeah. of them we all know, don't we? Some of them people put one star and it's like the oh, the best book I've ever read and this was amazing, and they just don't understand the, the rating system. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's, I'm thinking it's not hard to misunderstand a five-star rating system, but then again, you know. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, at this point, uh, Graham, we usually ask what, what we're all reading. So what are you reading at the moment? At the moment, I haven't just started it, but I'm reading The Companion by Leslie Thompson. Oh, fabulous. Uh, so so Leslie's, um, Leslie's new standalone, uh, which um, comes out, um, yeah, it might already be out, but anyway, I've I've got an advanced copy of it, but um, yeah, and it, and it promises to be to be absolutely fabulous. I can't tell you much about it at the moment. Prior to that, though, because that's a bit of a cop out, so I went to started it. I'm, I'm actually judging for the, the the CWA daggers nonfiction, so I'm going through some some of those at the moment. And and you know, I wish I'd done this before I'd written nonfiction because some of them are actually incredible. Um, so I'm doing that. But the fiction, uh, the botanist M. W. Craven finished that. Wow. What a book. Yeah. What a book. Well, I mean, what, what a series. He's just... Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's represented by the um, same agent as me. Uh, and I'm, I'm always having a go at him about, you know, can you just, can you just, leave, the, just leave writing or something? Because it makes the rest <laughs> of the book so bad. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, Poe and Bradshaw, they, how do they work as characters? But they do, yeah. don't they? They're, it's just incredible. It's, and he's yeah. a bloke as well. Yeah, no, it, it's true. It, it's it's wonderful what he's done and what he's doing. And that, um, you know, like there's a place, isn't there, um, for a brilliant lead character with a brilliant foil? You know, yeah. like that kind of thing doesn't happen so much anymore. And no. he's really yeah. smashed it. Yeah. And and their brilliance is so, they're so opposing, aren't they? I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, Poe is really old school, grumpy, grinds out results and, and you know, you know, Tilly with her, you know, if, if she's on the spectrum, then she, you know, she, she may well be, but certainly her, her, her kind of her intellect, her lack of filter uh, and, and, and just, just, you know, the, the way she is, you know, they should hate each other, but they absolutely, they would die for each other. And, and it just makes, yeah. and of course the botanist is, you know, he, I said how hard it was to write uh, forensic science. The way Mike's written science and the botanist and, you know, the, the, Kim, I know he's helped by Brian Price, who's you know, a good friend of mine as well, uh, in, in doing that. But it's it, it it's informative, it, but it drives the story, and it's a it, it's a it's a masterclass in how to use your knowledge and research in a way that drives the story, rather than just kind of showing off that you know lots of new stuff that you found yeah. out. It's brilliant. That's brilliant. very cool, man. Very cool. And that's um, uh, uh, I can't say. Well, 
because it's out today, the day of recording. <laughs> but this is coming out in a couple of weeks, isn't it? So um, it was out a few weeks ago, folks. Um, if you've not read it, oh, the yeah. It's been out ages. Second it's been out ages. If you've not read it, go and read it. <laughs> and Chris, what about you, mate? What are you reading? Uh, I've been on a little like um, PI kick. So I've read um, like sort of old James Salas, um, Charles Williford, um, like discovering these old characters from like the. I mean, I said old school, like I think Charles wrote his in like the 30s and stuff. So it's been really cool. And Don Nolan has recommended me loads of them. So I've just nice. stopped having some to go on holiday. And I've got um, The Long Goodbye by um, Raymond Char- uh, Chandler up next. Oh, absolutely awesome, man. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. What about yourself? Um, well, I'm really deep in a first draft at the minute. Um, so I can't, I struggle to read crime when I'm in that. Um, so the only time I'm reading now is when it's, you know, like very, very late at night and I'm falling asleep. So I'm reading a bit of horror. Um, so I'm reading, um, Christina Henry's near the bone, um, which is just super duper. Um, the listeners who know me will know that this very simple premise is ticks every box for me. Um, there is, um, a couple in a cabin up in the woods, um, we don't really know what year it is or anything like that, or at least I still don't know where I am in the book. Um, and um, there is a monster circling the cabin. <laughs> and we don't really know much else about that. There's just massive footprints in the snow. And I'm so enjoying this. It's just it's just really, really great. And it's given me that, you know, like um, it, it feels a bit like when I was a kid and I used to read a lot of point horror stuff, you know, not that this is, uh, you know, this is streets of... <laughs> This is way more advanced than that, is what I mean. But um, that similar sense of wonder and possibility is with me. Um, incidentally, you know, sometimes we like to talk um, about pulling back the curtain on the industry, Chris, you know, a little bit, and to say what it's really like. And Graham, you've been very candid with us tonight about that. Um, because I think that there's lots of um, misconceptions about the industry, isn't there? And about, you know, because we were asking questions of each other before we came on air about, you know, how certain things work and things like that. And so... I, people have been asking me about how episode, sorry, episode three, how book three of the Far From The Tree trilogy is going. Um, I was given um, a release date um, about three weeks ago. You know, you said you needed a deadline, Graham. Um, mm, yeah. I was given a release date and I was shocked to hear it's, it's later this year, actually within the year. So I was like, whoa. Um, so I started writing it on Boxing Day, like I have done the last two books of this series. Um, but I found this so tough, so hard going, and I just wasn't happy with any of it. Um, so this is just to let the listeners know about a little bit about the process and whatever. Um, I have a little graph um, on a app, uh, on a website called Pacemaker, where every day I put in my word count so I can keep on track for hitting the goal. I have to turn this book in on the 5th of July um, if we're going to make this deadline. Um, a first draft has to be in by 5th of July. And on, <laughs> this is so embarrassing, but I believe in it. I believe in this. So on the uh, <laughs> 12th of January, I was on 1,267 words. By the 27th of March, I was on 4,634. So I'd given myself, you know, seven months to write this thing. By the 26th of May... I was on 4,996. And I'm looking at the time here going, 
holy heck, <laughs> you know, but a deadline's been approved. So now I know what the deadline is. Um, I'm now on, I think, I don't know what the, so that was, yeah, that was the 20, 24th, 24th of May. Now it's the 2nd of June and I'm on 25,862. Hello, motorized. Yeah, so it's, it's suddenly listeners and writers and everybody the cork in the dam just pops doesn't it and then suddenly ah god it can't stop now and it's just it's falling out of me at a ridiculous speed and it's painful to try and get it down at the speed it's coming out so um yeah that's a little bit of insight and please dear god can my agent and publishers not be listening to any of that (laughs) (laughs) but i'm actually really on course to make make july 7th or july 5th so we're good i think so so you're on so yeah as you say we're recording this on the 2nd of june you've got you've got 33 days how many words what's your word count um they look for about 80 with this one so i've got another what is that 55 what are you want at the moment yeah 25 yeah yeah that's still a lot oh, it, it's still a lot but then i'm thinking if i've done what was the 24th to the second? What, how many days is that? That's like eight days. Yeah. 20,000 in eight days, give or take. Yeah. I can oh, do this. Sure. I can yeah, do this. Can I can, do I can do oh. this guys. <laughs> I'm sorry about the slight segue. Um, but. So, so with it, with, with, so with, with a deadline like that and reading horror at night, how do you sleep? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't at all. And, and the three kids are off at the minute for this jubilee. <laughs> and, and it's street parties and all sorts. Uh, so I'm just going to stay indoors and, and kill people uh, on the page. On the page. Yes, the family is safe. Yes. The dog, on the other hand, this, this dog is an idiot. So, you know. <laughs> Cretinous dog. This that we have here. To no, he's he's got what he's done is he's got he's had his you know his his snippety snip. Um, so he's got the big cone on like this oh, to cone, keep away from everything. The cone of shame. The cone of, yeah, and it's massive. It's absolutely huge. And he keeps. Um, so what he does is he goes number two, and then he turns around and with the cone he scoops it up into no. the cone. So it's stuck in the cone with him. He's like trying to get it. It's just what is wrong with you. Ah, oh, dear. He doesn't get that off you, does he? <laughs> no, he does not. Although, after this episode, at the end of this episode, I think I need a cone of shame. <laughs> um, can we end with one final question? <laughs> what, for Rob? <laughs> no, we're coming back to you. Um, um, Rob likes to ask this question. I'm going to steal it from him. Um, oh, yeah. What... If you could explore um, a different genre to write in, is there something that you'd like to do further down the line? If I could, what a different writing genre. I, I, I'd like to do historical fiction. I think I, I, I was, I love Wilbur Smith. The, you know, the, 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 the older books, the, you know, the Egyptian series and the, the Courtney's. I love all that. I love, and, and I think, you know, even though what's said about research, obviously, you know. With non-fiction but I'd, I'd love to just explore um ancient you know a, a, an ancient time and 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 try, try and create something from that I, I i do love you know historical fiction is my is my palate cleanser from crime and and you know if i can 
if, if I could write that, that would be that would be amazing because I think I would just I would just love the process. I think just love just finding out about you know different worlds, different people, different times. You know, I think was, nowadays we're locked so much into the here and now and the kind of immediacy and everything. And I'd love to explore you know a, 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 a slower and, and probably more challenging time, but but something that probably has a lot more depth and color to it than, than the world we live in. Any particular era? Uh, well, I, I, I love I love the the, the, the ancient Egyptian um, period. I love you know I, I love that. Um, I, I think um, also I would you know l looking at the, the the time of the American Revolution uh, and the founding fathers. You know, I'm sort of particularly sort of inspired. I mean, I, I you know a lot of us kind of learned a lot about Hamilton, didn't we? Alexander Hamilton, have we seen Hamilton? And and then reading around that and understanding what it was like to create a nation. Uh, you know, with with people who don't necessarily get on against a you know a, a common enemy and, and all of those things, I'd love to be able to just kind of just just plunge back into into that that world. I read a book um, a few years ago called just called, I think it's just called New York, and and it it, it literally starts um, but back in the I can't remember but long before the the American Revolution, and, and it, it 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 it's fiction, but it tells. It tells a story through through successive generations, right the way up to uh, to 9/11. Uh, from that, and you kind of you you learn so much about the development of New York and the you know the the, the creation of the the creation of the nation and, and and the people and the diversity and all of that. But it was all it was really clever the way that you just kind of you know just just very very subtly the. The generations handed over to generations it wasn't like okay right now we're in the 1800s you know it wasn't like that at all it was just like reading a, you know it's probably about 200,000 words but it was it was you know it was such a joy I'd love to be able to to, to write something like that if you Very find cool. out the name of that or like if, if you know the author please could you let me know it sounds like something I'd really like to read actually yeah 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 um yeah I'll, I'll look you. it up and I'll send it to you at the end of the chat cheers thank you well thank you I mean that was probably our time up um yeah really really insightful and really cool um to hear to hear all about bad for good and everything else that we've discussed so thank you so so much for your time oh thank you thanks for i'm so so delighted to get the invite to come on this i've i've loved your podcast for for a long time uh, and and just the just that it's just such a blast but also it's such a great opportunity particularly for a debut to come on this so thank you oh, thank no thank you so much um absolutely fascinated with everything tonight graham um and i look forward to our paths crossing again because i do owe you a guinness for enjoying a couple <laughs> while we yeah. or, or a tipple of your choice <laughs> anything good guinness is fine yeah anything not I'm a cheap date, whatever. <laughs> well, massive, massive uh, happy publication day, love, Thank and congratulations. Um, the buzz about this book is amazing. Um, everyone, go out there and buy Bad for Good as soon as you can. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>「I'm Rob」I'm Simon and I'm James We want to talk about those movies those supposedly bad movies those movies that bombed To see if they weren't that bad after all join us every other Tuesday on the For Your Reconsideration podcast part of the Pod Dojo Podcast Network You can catch us on iTunes Spotify and all your usual podcast apps
and it won't cost you a solitary bean, mate. <laughs> it's like it's free. <laughs> it's just like it's free. <laughs>